Hi everyone. We have Amy Mullins here today. Thanks for coming. <laughs> uh, Amy was born with missing fibula bones. That means she had both of her legs amputated below knees. Like imagine yourself, like you know, at the age of one, you lose part of your legs. Like what would you do? Well. What would, you, what would you do? I don't know. Like I'm, I can't do like all the things you have done. Like, <laughs> but I'll probably do some like sports just like you do. But here is just what she achieved. Uh, she became a record breaker in Olympic Games, right in 1960. 96, yeah. 96. was a long time ago. <laughs> it is. It was a very long time ago, unfortunately. And she started modeling, uh, not only modeling, and also collaborating with Alexander McQueen and any other uh, designers and designing, uh, what is the right word? Designing. Oh, prosthetics. Prosthetics. Yeah. And she also became an actress and appeared in many TV movies and TV shows. So one of your TED Talks, um, you questioned the world disabled. And when you share all the name, uh, meaning of disabled in dictionary meaning, mm. it all says like helpless, useless, like ragged, lame, like weakened, right? Worn out. Yeah. Done in, done for, counted yeah. out. That's all what it means, that all like what it says in dictionaries. Yeah, there was the synonyms yeah. of disabled. It's pretty shocking <laughs> to, to see it in print. That the idea that you would ever actually use those words to describe any human being, let alone a child. Mm. You know, you can imagine <clears throat> doctors saying that to parents, that your child is disabled, and if they were to look up and find any of those words, they would be... So so much more disheartened than How did you be. deal with it? Like, what was your first feeling when you faced with all those negative um, words? Well, thankfully, I didn't find that until like six years ago. That's <laughs> 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 well past uh, my formative years. Mm. And I think the, you know I, I wasn't being facetious when I asked you what would you do if if yeah. you know if if the bones if part of the bones in your legs didn't form, you know, you would still be you, you would still be Ali, but, yeah. but the circumstances of the fact that in the morning you put on prosthetics before you go to school, it's kind of like if you wear contacts or you put in eyeglasses or, you know, the, the idea that there's something that you have to do before you can engage in the world to the, with, with, to the best of your ability mm. um, is, is really how it was treated in my household. I wasn't given kind of special dispensation. My, my parents, um, both of them worked multiple jobs and I have two younger brothers and um, my mother comes from a large family. She mm. has 10 siblings. So they were very, they, they expected me to be very um, self-reliant, which was a, a wonderful gift because I wasn't protected from the realities of the fact that people stare and they, you know, they, don't, they, they often 
fear what they don't understand. Mm. And so you start to learn from a young age how to engage dialogue and how to maybe subvert um, what people think mm. something is to you know, make it better for you. Well, like while you were four, five, six years old, people, kids around your age, they were like playing in the playgrounds, in parks, but you were at the hospital all the time and playing with elastic, like plastic, those cables and everything to build up your leg muscles, Therapy right? Therapy bands, yeah, I hate those. <laughs> no, I mean, I had, but look, I certainly was in and out of the hospital a lot, but I had, um, I think, in, I, I really, the way I regard it, I had like a very typical childhood. childhood. Um, you know, I had a roof over my head and food to eat and, mm -hmm. um, you know, I learned to ride a bike with training wheels the way everybody did and the, you know, uh. the, the day that your training wheels come off is as magical as it uh. is for any kid. I mean, it was very, because I've, I've never walked with anything else, I, I don't really have a great way of describing it other than to try and um, give you this idea of a parallel. You know, I mean, how many people in this room wear glasses or contact lenses or had surgery to correct your vision? It's probably half of you at least. And that used to be a major disability. And we don't think of it that way anymore. It's like you just get the tool that you need to address it and move on. And in fact, People use contacts to change their eye color. They don't even have the disability of visual impairment. Yeah, and that's it becomes something that you do to change and um, make malleable your own image and the image that you present to the world. So the idea of, you know, as a teenager, what I was. What was the most challenging thing for you while you were a teenager? Was it about like those words? Oh, well, no. T being teenager, I mean, like it's being a teenager is horrible for everyone. It's horrible. <laughs> it's horrible for everyone, it's not horrible just for, for like everyone. disabled persons. But I think that's why, you know, the idea of transformation and escape was very powerful for me. I mean, I was very, always as a young child, completely taken and transported by cinema mm. um, and kind of photographs that, that echo cinematic mm. um, escapism. You know, I, I was very, very good at going away in my head. And you have to be if you're sitting in a hospital bed with full mm -hmm. plaster casts on both legs. You have to be very good at being able to transport yourself um, in your mind and create another reality, and I was good at it. And it's actually something that I have to still work on <coughs> because I think it's something that we, we all, all do that. as kids, and then we, we, st we get lazy. We st or also, we get told to be realistic, and I think that that's a horrible thing to, to have as a uh, baseline. I mean. There are some things that it's good to be realistic. There's a lot of things that it's better that you don't be. I'm, none of the things that I have been celebrated for in my career thus far have happened because I was realistic. Mm. It was because I was wildly improbable in uh. my dreaming, my daydreaming, and, my, and, and the kinds of people. And the other thing is going after people and kind of avoiding the people who say no or say that mm. it's impossible or you know, just finding people um, and I've been so, so lucky to be able to do that since I was a teenager, to find people who were also active dreamers. You know, they, they do what they dream. Like mm. the, someone like um, Alexander McQueen, or they, they do, it's not just having an image, it's, 
it's setting about a way to bring it uh, into reality and create a, a new reality. You seem like you find your own voice in a really early age, and you have such a like strong, confident voice. Like, was it hard for you, or was all those dreams that all those image imaginaries that you know you just mentioned, or were they all help you to find your own voice? Yeah, I definitely was a, you know, I think came out with a opinion about things. Mm -hmm. I was, you know, even the, the kinds of women that I was drawn to as a little girl were adventurers. They were Amelia Earhart. They were Sally Ride. They were, um, you know, the, the, and the, the, the cinematic women, it was never Marilyn Monroe kind of vamping it up. It was Elizabeth Taylor playing Cleopatra. Mm. Also vamping it up, but, you know, with, with <laughs> in a much stronger <laughs> way. Um, I was, and also just men. I actually didn't even see, when I would have kind of ideas about my own body um, in my daydreams, you know, I never had prosthetic legs and I never, I never needed to necessarily even be a woman. Mm -hmm. You know, oftentimes I was very much a knight on a horse, um, <laughs> you know, going off and charging. The, it, it was, it was a, a very freeing, I didn't realize that until recently, that I didn't even need stick to a gender to to in, in my in my imaginations, um, so definitely I had a. I was always um, generally confident, but I think that's because I was I've always been curious. Mm. You know, if you're if you're curious, you're 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 interested in what you can learn from everybody else. So that's a, it's a way that you realize when it's not it's the opposite of narcissism. Yeah, and that keep you alive. Yeah, because obviously like. Teenage years; those are difficult for everybody. So it's not like you're confident all the time, for sure, and, and not like you don't have fear and anxiety mm. and self-doubt and insecurity. Mm. That's those are completely human experiences, and I think if you don't have them, if you don't experience them, I think you, it's hard to have compassion for other people because it's such a uh, a universal thing to, to to go through. You know, we all mm. there's the darker sides of of humanity, and I think. Um, you know, we talked earlier about the word inspiration and how... Yes, um, I was. Well, um, we were just talking about before the panel, uh, before the talk, and while I was introducing you, I was trying to not to use the word <laughs> inspiration, and You're she's going to tell you why. <laughs> no, but we, I th we, we talked about the fact that it's, um, you know, there's certain words that get abused, you know, and, if, and the real meaning of, uh, to... An, of, to inspire someone is very beautiful. It has to do with life force, yeah. you know, but to, to infuse energy. Um, you, you change someone's way of thinking. You change someone's way of feeling. It's you move someone. Something happens cellularly, and that um, unfortunately, I think, in certainly in the American media, in, in the last twenty years, it's become cheapened. Yeah, um, became in, like in a label way, that. Yeah, it became like in the way people use genius and fashion. You know, not everyone's a genius. It's a very, <coughs> that's a that's a specific word, and it's abused. And it, um, and I feel like if something made you feel warm and fuzzy for five minutes, you weren't inspired. Yeah, you no. know, you just made it just made you feel good. So I think there's and there is also a very um, dehumanizing, flattening way that we often look at stories of. Of, um, I mean, 
Anton Corbin earlier had had that image of, of Stephen Hawking, and you know this is a is gen, a, a genius, genius. Uh, you know of our time, and and people, you know, oftentimes there's a a patronizing sense of pity that comes under this umbrella of it's such an inspiring story. Mm. And there may actually be elements of it that are, but then I always kind of ask them, well, what, what, what inspired you? If it's just that he, you know, if, like the fact that I get up in the day and live my life, it's mm. just, I don't find that inspiring. I, I find that, you know, that I'm just living. <laughs> well, I don't want to use the word, but your whole story is very inspirational. <laughs> You're just going to push back on it, I know. <laughs> Um, you also work as a modeling, and I was just wondering, do you think that the idea of uh, beautiful, like what is beautiful or like what is normal, is changing during the years? Oh yeah, I mean, just look at the last couple years um, of of imagery. I feel like we've, you know, there's been such a, an extraordinary change from social media and the fact that people, you know, it used to be that, that buckets of geography, religion, mm -hmm. um, race, gender, really, really had labels that you had to kind of push very hard to break free them. I think that's why we feel the loss of a David Bowie or Prince so much, because people who for 30 years, 30, 40 years, were, were fluid in how they express themselves. Mm. Um, that's an extraordinary thing to do and still be commercially viable, you know, sell records, <laughs> and sell concert tickets. Um, but, you know, with the internet, the fact that people could align with groups of their own choosing, you know, if you grew up in the middle of Kansas and you happen to love Scandinavian death metal, yeah. you, can, <laughs> you, you can, you know, really fly your flag with that, those groups, and I think that's empowered a lot of people, you know? And certainly, in the last couple of years, we've seen in the United States, and, and in many, many countries in the world, um, uh, same-sex marriage becoming legal, and we have so many more um, movies and television shows now with regular characters who are um, transgender men and women, and the this is just in the last five years, you know, that we're seeing more of the width and breadth of the diversity of actual society around mm. us. You know, it's not just, you know, there's still the plasticine idea of people who've gone and made themselves look like a doll. But, you know, I think we realize because so much of the best um, writing and acting is on television today. Uh, and I, we, I think we've seen that people are drawn towards you know, interesting characters. And I think, mm. the, and if you've had a life that's given you a, a unique perspective from, from, you know, what maybe nine out of 10 other people have, we are interested to hear that because you, mm -hmm. you're offering us something that we couldn't experience and wouldn't know about if we weren't invited to engage in that. So yeah, certainly I, this is something I've seen. I mean, that, um, you know, Jefferson Hack was up here earlier today, and, and we got to work together on something that was nearly... For the cover of... Yeah, it's, I mean, it's almost magazine. two decades now. It's yeah. soon. It's going to be two decades. <laughs> um, and 
that was radical then. I mean, in fact, I remember standing in a, in a newsstand, news agent in New York City, and it had hit the stand, it had come out, it was on do the stand. Do we stands. have that image on our We do, room? yeah, we have it up here. But I remember standing there and there was a guy that was sitting in the shop with his girlfriend and he went and got, he said, dude, look how, he, look how they photoshopped those legs onto that girl, man. <laughs> and I was like, wow, those are, that's, no, that's really, that's real. But I didn't say anything. I just thought, <laughs> you know, I was kind of excited that it felt like an interesting subversion and an, an irony to um, create an image that became sort of cyb you know, a cyborg for people. It was like um, this kind of futuristic bionic thing. Um, but today that's, you know, I feel like that's so much more um, accepted. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea that Jefferson thought that was beautiful and Nick Knight thought that was beautiful and Lee McQueen thought that was beautiful and all the people who worked on that Sear on that shoot, um, but we were kind of on the fringe then. Mm. Whereas twenty years later, I can be in a you know on a billboard for L'Oreal, and it's just this, and it's like that. That is radical, actually, to be able to be on a product that sells lipstick in you know Bangladesh, mm. um, and say yes, you know beauty can beauty is. Beauty is genuinely probably uh, your spirit. Do you have a like serious like emotional breakdown or like how do you collect yourself when you have a like? How do I collect myself? Yeah, I go through it. I allow the breakdown. So you just I mean not while it. I'm driving. Or anything <laughs> like that, but, um, but no, I think that's really this is one of those things where in the sense of this kind of inspiration porn idea that there's mm -hmm. um, you know people that want to. That, that don't mean to, they end up kind of flattening and dehumanizing what could be a very interesting story content-wise, um, is this idea of being fearless. Mm -hmm. I just think that that's not helpful to tell our children to be fearless because it's a, it's a natural it's thing okay to, to feel. I think it's totally okay. okay if you, I think if you recognize it, you're able to then move, move on. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. I think when, sometimes when you just don't talk about something, you try to pretend you don't have it, it becomes a bigger beast than if you just said, wow, that's, that's terrifying me. Like people think, I mean, I've probably done nearly a thousand speeches in, in the last 20 years. <laughs> I'm still frightened. Why? When I get up and say, I just do. I have n butterflies, I have nerves, I, I still have to collect myself, I still have to breathe deeply, <laughs> I still shake for the first few minutes. <laughs> um, and I, I just find that I'm more excited to see, to recognize those little, I mean, the humanity, mm. rather than becoming some kind of automaton who's just going through the motions, you know? I mean, it's, it, I like that each individual thing still produces a response in me. And so I think fear is, a, it can be a, a very powerful informant. And it seems like you turn into a like really powerful thing, like being, you know, um, scared. Because it's like um, being like disabled or like disabled person, it's something that make people more uncomfortable, like, you know. And you turn into this an art form 
you worked with these um, designers, like fashion designers, and work on like the idea, the art of body parts. Yeah, sculpture, wearable Sculptures, sculpture. Body sculptures. Yeah, I was. Well, I was. And can we start? Um, yeah, we could see. Continue. I think uh, whatever the first one image up there, I think is very much not sculptural. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind <laughs> of. Um, I think it's a very early image of me at maybe age three or four with wooden legs, which is still what most people in the world who um, use prosthetic legs is the first kind that they get. How old, how old were you when you were first decided that, you know, um, you can play with, you can design yeah. your body I was part. a teenager. I was probably 18. I mean, I, I was aware of Stan Winston building, you know, an articulated knee and um, ankle for the Terminator. You know, whereas, like, I don't have ankles that function. And yet you would see pop, you know, RoboCop, all sorts of pop culture things. Yeah, look at those amazing um, non-technology. That's you in two years old, right? Yeah, about three with my brother, who's, uh, like, I think a respectable accountant now who would die if everyone... If he knows how many times people have seen him in a diaper. Um, but yeah, this was just, you know. What it looks like in like. Yeah, with a leather cuff that went up, you know, way up on the thigh. It's like. Looks scary. Yeah. It's, I mean, and they made an extraordinary. You can imagine how they, they, they rust out because you're not supposed to go swimming with yeah. wooden legs. And of course, a child's going to go swimming in a hot day. And I wrecked all these legs. <laughs> how do I? I'm not really sure if I do this right. Oh. Yeah. Well, then, so then that's the, um, the running legs, you know, that I think today most people have seen these. This was me 20 years ago um, running at Georgetown University. Um, you can imagine it was like the next, you know, Flojo. Like, the, you know, she ran for like the Jamaican, you know, <laughs> Olympic team. Um, and yet it was really in the... I was the guinea pig on these. We didn't know how they would behave. We didn't know what they would, uh, what they would do, and they were, you know, how, what what the impact would be on my knees, my hips. And it's it's um. This is me long jumping, um, setting a world record, and right about to break my tailbone. <laughs> like, every time I look at that picture, I <laughs> do that. Uh, how old were you back then? Uh, Nineteen, twenty, yeah, and. And then, so this was this is this the cover you were talking yeah, about. Yeah. So this this cover on, on the, the left right. was a design magazine. Is a design magazine yeah. that normally has like, you know, some kind of Apple product on the cover mm. or a chair, uh, and a wonderful graphic designer, Peter Saville, had, had an article in that mm. magazine, and he gave it to Nick Knight, who, who brought it to McQueen and mm. Jefferson, and then, um, like. Two months later, I'm in flown to London, and we did this this cover. Which was it the same year you have collaborated with Alexander McQueen? Yeah, so I met him at that shoot, and he unrolled the. We, we originally, we wanted to do three different pair of prosthetics. We had these incredible um, hand carved ones in wood, which were this mm -hmm. at the at that runway show. I think I have a like a proper close up. There they are. There, those are ash and all hand carved and. That's special design for the Rame show. Yeah. And then there was going to be another pair that was going to be 
so there's silicon skin, but all studded with Swarovski crystal, which I still plan on doing at some point. <laughs> and then another pair that were going to be hive polished and mirrored chrome, but mm. budgetary restrictions being what they were. We only got to do these this one, but this, you know, I got them seven hours before the start of the runway show wow. and had to learn how to walk on them. What was the first thing you think when you were start about to start walking in um, runway? <laughs> okay, so that show was a wooden uh, runway and it had these discs set into the ground of the, in wood that would spin if you walked on them. It, the very famous end of that show is uh, Shalom Harlow in a white dress and a robot that has two spray guns mm. of paint, black and yellow paint, and she'd, wow. she's spun around on this disc as the robot paints her. So the disc was there for the big finale, but you had to walk, you had to manage to get around it <laughs> for the, fo the whole show, you know? And I was the first one out, and once we, um, I was laced into this corset, which I hadn't been fully laced into until that moment. Mm. Uh, I didn't realize that I wouldn't be able to look down or move one arm. Oh. I was fully locked into it, and my hips were locked. And I panicked. I freaked out. And uh, a wonderful model, Erin O'Connor, was there, and she just helped me. I was like, oh, I don't know how to do this. She, she just was like, okay, take this hand, stick it on the hip. And then it was like, <laughs> okay. I remember she had her hand on my, my lower back. And, um, and... Just going, just uh, having a moment of just thinking, I've done harder things than this. I did the Olympics. I can do this, <laughs> but being so terrified that I was gonna um, wipe out to fall. And you know, many models but have. But you didn't. I didn't. I didn't. But I, <laughs> I thought I might. Uh, this was also part of that shoot for Days and Confused. So these oh. these legs are made in in England, actually, down in the south of England, and they have a, um, they're silicone. They're intrinsically mm. painted silicone, so they've got, you know, again, this is the idea of, like, when I was looking at the Terminator and, um, you know, movies, RoboCop and all these kind of things. Well, you can also go to Madame Tussauds Wax Museum in London, and you can look at Oprah Winfrey and Jerry Hall, like, <laughs> completely replicated down to the exact color of their, you know, iris. And, and yet, that wooden leg that you saw when I was three is what they still give everybody. And I was like, this is just, you know, no. And it was, I realized this is symptomatic of something so much worse, which is that you're supposed to hide yourself. And that was something that I wasn't going to accept, you know. So I knew I had to go find people who had no background in prosthetics, who had no idea what a leg should look like or should do. And so, therefore, the running leg was modeled after the hind leg of a cheetah, which is the fastest thing in the world that runs. It was like, if I'm trying to be the fastest woman on prosthetics and I don't have to have human legs, why, why would we try and do a shin and a foot? Yeah. It's silly. <laughs> let's, let's try and, and use that. So, and today, it's like, you know, you see these, with 3D printing, what they can do, you know, you s they, they, kids who are, you know, have all their 10 fingers and 10 toes, they don't see this as a something to hide or a disability or less an idea of being less than. They see it as bionic, as cyborg, as uh, another adaptation of the body you already have. So, you know, they're they're thinking of 
attachments that they put on themselves that have a water gun in the in the arm or you know like kind of the James Bond Aston Martin of prosthetics with all these kind of Swiss army tools that came out of it and it's a a really um amazing shift to see in two de in just 20 years um these were legs that are made they're not glass they look like they're glass it's actually bowling ball material optically clear polyurethane they're very very heavy uh, that Matthew Barney made in the year, this, they're in the Chicago Museum right now. Um, these were these shoes he had made me that, that cut, you could cut mm. potatoes. Mm. I had to cut a lot of potatoes. Um, How does that collaboration process start and goes? Like, do you guys come together and share your ideas about like how it should like, or do you already have a like story behind well, Ma every... well, Matthew definitely had a story, but it was very... He had three characters that he wanted me to play. <laughs> and he actually had that cover of Dazed and Confused. Mm. And he had it up on his wall, and he had written me letters, and, and um, I, was g I was getting a lot of letters from, you know, less than savory <laughs> characters. <laughs> um, and, you know, he... Basically, it was a, a friend of a friend. Like, he's legitimate... Just you know, answer, answer his call, <laughs> and we we went we met and he yeah he had this idea of of this character here on the right which is sort of um an homage to the cheetah legs the, the sprinting legs so it was a half woman half cheetah and those paws actually were articulated it actually could bend and it was like skiing it was like downhill skiing to balance <laughs> on that that took thirteen hours of prosthetic makeup to get into that full 13 hours to get into it and a couple hours to get what out of it. What does it look? How does it feel it's like to become? Um, <laughs> well, again, you know, I guess it's, I wanted it. I wanted to escape and transform. I wanted to be able to become other other people and other creatures. And um, I think it's incredibly liberating. You know, I mean, the idea that, that, that you take something that... Um, has a bunch of shoulds and musts and shouldn'ts and um, and kind of baggage around it, emotional baggage, and to be able to just cast that off and say, I'm going to do anything I want in the space between where my leg ends and the ground. Because actually, I mean, I'm really walking on air. Every, like my whole, mm. my whole association with the ground and my understanding of the ground is in my head. So mm. I... I imagine what grass feels like. I imagine, you know, this carpet and tile and, mm. but I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I know from my hands. Mm. So pushing it so far to the, you know, extreme where you're, you're, you're taking on a different animal's feet That's and that, that tail actually moved. You can see the cable coming down from it. There was a guy hiding behind that pillar at the Guggenheim with this little kind of like old school Nintendo control box, and the tail would kind of whip around. And um, you, it, of course, it, it, it's like a, when Parker Posey was talking earlier today about costume and how that hair and makeup and costume, how that changes your, it changes you. Um, and that's what opportunity of adversities, right? So you turn into this a beautiful thing to 
help you transform into different characters, different people. Yeah, that's that's one phase of it. But it, like, for instance, these here that Matthew Barney also designed, they're kind of like, you know, jellyfish sort of. Ten you know, they're just sculptural. <laughs> There's no functionality whatsoever there. I can't really walk or run in those. They're just aesthetic. And so it, on one hand, it's definitely me playing, you know, challenging myself and seeing how I feel when I change my legs because I can change my height. I can change, you know, I, it changes the way I walk. It, um, you know, changing the shape of my, my feet or having different materials used. But it's also changing the way people interact with me, the way people see me. How do they know. see you? What do they say? Well, I'm saying, you know, if there's something about having gone from wearing like those kind of wooden medical legs to black woven carbon fiber, a, a child reacts differently. You know, it, one kind of intrinsically, typically make, made them scared, and the other one attracts them. Mm. Because they sense somehow they... And it maybe and it's also just energetic that, that there's an innate power in claiming autonomy over your physical body and how you how you design it and and how you present it to the world and deciding that you get to kind of invent and reinvent it I think is um, something that we all do you know prosthetic clothing is a prosthetic mm -hmm. it's like it's not natural to us but it's something that we use to function in the world. Um, this is another character from the from Cree Master with um these legs were oh sorry, they went the wrong way. Uh, they were soil. They're they're soil with potatoes growing in it. <laughs> <laughs> and a nice big fat gold toe that um I got to learn how to weave off of oops, sorry. Ah <laughs> I don't know how to do this. Did you I know, just mess like this up? One last image. Um I never do this clicker bit. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Maybe you guys can find that wherever that slide is and put it back up. Sorry. <laughs> um, but there's a close-up of that. You know, again, that these these legs were just—they tell a story in and of themselves. And so that um, there they go. You 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 create a an opportunity for dialogue, like a, like any piece of sculpture. You know how you feel in the space, how the how other people feel around you and creating an object of, um, you know, for some, sometimes it's an object of beauty, sometimes it's meant to provoke um, just, an, you know, thought and emotion. You achieved so many things in your life and you're still, like, really long, lo uh, young. So how do you celebrate your life? How do I celebrate my life? I enjoy good wine. Wine? Good food. <laughs> wine is always a good answer. Yeah, wine's <laughs> good. Yeah, no, no. I get I am so um <laughs> I I just said it last week to my husband. Uh, we're such lucky such lucky babies, you know. I mean we get to come here to sort of to wake up and, and be in Istanbul. Um it's and uh, to get people to you know, to actually be able to have sort of what start out as quite naive ideas as a teenager and actually s watch them start to f spread. 
And this, this slide, slide is in here because this is the oldest prosthetic found. It's over a thousand years old. It's an Egyptian toe. And you can see how this, with the stitching, it's an articulated toe. So this person wore it with sandals and it works. And you know, there's a, t there's a the, in Hatshepsut, the only female pharaoh of Egypt, in her, in the room in the Cairo Museum, they found this mummy of, they think was her wet nurse, Citra Inn, who died in her maybe late 50s, early 60s, which was a great, great old age in, you know, mm. 5,000 years ago to live to that, you were like Merlin. Mm. And she had a prosthetic toe because of what they think was diabetes. So in this glass sarcophagus, I was standing there, I went around the bottom of it to see the bottom of her feet, and you could see that her prosthetic gold toe, it was the, you could see the linen, the fibers, it was worn through. It wasn't ornamental. She wore this big, fat, gold, awesome toe, a prosthetic toe. This is thousands of years ago. This, this isn't it. They, for whatever reason, we can't find a photo of this, you know, and I was there 10 years ago before I might have done something surreptitious. But, mm. um, you know, the idea that, that uh, throughout time, other people have, have decided to celebrate their body. This was like, these were legs I had made for the Olympics in 2012 um, with metallic pigment. Actually ma managed to fuse into the silicone. It's kind of making an interesting color, but it's actually gold. This is an example. This is Frida Kahlo's leg. Um, she was amputated in 1953, and she had her leg designed with a boot uh, attached with a little bells on it. And so, you know, and, and this was her back brace that from her was accident. That was in MoMA, right? I'm sorry? That was in MoMA, or um, was it the one in, appeared in MoMA? No, this was, I, I just talked, gave a talk at MoMA about, about oh. this, about, fa you know, the, the role of it in fashion, but, um, you know, the fact that she decorated something, again, that was a medical device, this was a back brace that's, that could symbolize the fact that she endured a lot of pain every day, um, and she, there is something very psychologically powerful about decorating it um, and making it yours and, and kind of, again, claiming some autonomy on it. This is the next, so, this, so those are the, the cheetah legs, sprinting legs, and then these will be the next generation. This is a bionic um, sprinting leg. They're not, this is like in beta, beta, beta testing. They're, this is a professor at MIT here, Hugh Herr. He runs the biomechatronics lab, and he's doing really exciting things. These are the legs that he's designed called the biomes. What was the year? This is now. This was just, they're no, doing the these old, now. The uh, wired cover? Was it for the wired year? cover was uh, five years ago, six years ago now. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, but these were the, like, again, now, most prosthetics, when they deliver them to people, have this horrible rubber unisex foot shell on it <laughs> that's meant to cover up all that. And it's, it's like a mustard yellow <laughs> is Caucasian. You know, and then you get like a brown shade if it's not Caucasian. <laughs> That's the amazing choice you get still. <laughs> and this, you know, this titanium and the way this bionic foot works, um, so much more beautiful to have exposed than to cover it up with something that's supposed to look human and therefore make you feel better somehow. Um, again, I just find it very antiquated. And I know that when you see children now who, for whatever reason, 
need to get a prosthetic, they are automatically decorating their arm or their leg with, um, you know, this, this, this little girl I saw, it was High School Musical 3. She loved Zac Efron and had photos, of, like pictures of his face all over her, <laughs> her leg. She's five, you know, six uh. years old. So or fro the Frozen character, you know, they get these, uh. these things and they, it does change how their friends, um, I think, think about something that sh might have once meant uh, a heavy, emotionally draining medical device that is supposed to be hidden away to an object of, of uh, beauty or interest and something that can actually liberate other facets of your personality. Do you have any more dreams to fulfill? Loads. Like what? I'm not going to tell you. It's <laughs> like hubris. No. That's for me. No. Okay, well, You'll find your, out. Oh, you'll do your, it. We'll come, back, we'll come back in 20 years. We'll do it again. Okay. Yeah. Promise? Yeah. Okay. What about your bucket list? My bucket list? Yeah. Oh man, I don't think you start thinking about your bucket list until <laughs> later, right? <laughs> Hopefully later. But um, I mean, that 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 just gets added to. The truth is, I'm I'm living the life that I want to live, like now. Um, that was always very important to me. Yeah. To try so and nice. and not think about things I want to do later, but figure out how I can start doing them now. And for the for the most part I am actually there's no I have no regrets and no kind of big wishes that haven't that I'm not already chipping away at about your like in daily life what is like something minor thing that you know contributes your greatly your happiness my daily life um yeah I love to cook I think mm. that's very grounding. I love to kind of go to a market and see what's fresh and come home and and cook and watch films and you know, I like to have I much prefer to have friends to the house and cook together or go to someone's house, especially in New York City that's a that's a luxury, you know. It's <laughs> a it's a it's a luxury to be able to dine in someone's domicile. And that that I find is a a daily blessing. We have Few more minutes left for Q and A. Yes. Hi. From Mr. Corbine, actually, uh, he was interviewed for the Talks Magazine, where he said, "A photo doesn't need to be perfect um, in order to be uh, fantastic." Something along that lines. Um, do you see yourself as a visionary alongside Mr. Corbine as the antithesis of uh, what, what we consider perfection? Well, I know I'm not Our perfect. obsession with perfection. <laughs> <laughs> Our obsession with perfection. I, I, I've just tried to, you know, I've never, I've never had a prescription for the way to live life. And you know, certainly my my experiences designing my body and playing with um, wearable sculpture, it's not for everyone. I mean, there's, there's, there's other people who do prefer greater discretion. 
um, and I don't judge that. I think you know. I think everybody's again. It's, I think it's about being autonomous. So if that makes you happy, then that's that's great. I I, I certainly, like I said, it's not a prescription. However, what I have tried to do is just be truthful as I've gone along and share um, share the ideas I'm having and 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 what I've learned along the way. I mean. This, this one image, the image that was the second image of, um, if I can find it, it's like uh, a black and white image. That was the second one. Ali, maybe you could, could find yeah, it. It was sure. the, just, it's, it's, um, it was in Sports Illustrated. And it was taken by a doctor, a man who was actually a, a medical doctor who in his 60s retired because his love was photography. But, um, no, keep going back. Yeah. It's that one. one, yeah. Howard Schatz is his name. And he did a book on athletes. And everybody in the book, uh, all the men wore black kind of shorts, for, and all the women wore these black trunks with the black sports bra because black kind of um, negates contour. And so he didn't want it to be sexualized, the fact that all, but it was, it was about the, the human body and how incredible it, it truly is. And, how it works. So he did a portrait, a studio portrait of all of us, and then he did one of us, the one of me running on the beach is also him, um, which looks like it's tropical paradise, but it's Coney Island in December. You should know that. Mm. It's horrible. And when this was up, I was president at the time of the Women's Sports Foundation in the United States, which is, which is a huge honor. You're kind of voted by all of your women to, to, to be the voice for female athletes. And um, there was commentary, and like an, basically on the internet, that this image was too sexy, and that it it should be, you know, I wasn't being lauded for my athletic accomplishments or for my intellect, but basically for having a nice body, and it was on display. And it was at that moment that something codified that I had never had been, a, never had even known before. But I realized I was. I worked hard for that body, and it worked for me. That body worked hard for me. And I'm really happy that there's images to capture that point in my life. And also, I did feel sexy, but it wasn't for someone else. It was, I felt powerful. I felt in shape. I felt healthy, well, strong, capable, you know, all things that Yes, if you're really lucky if you have someone photograph you at a moment in your life when all those things are happening. And I remember it coming out like a, you know, like a poem that, that I had worked on for a long time, but, it, but I hadn't. It was just this knowledge that, yes, it is sexy. And, you know, the fact that I had gone from very recently before this photo was taken, you know, people who would say things well-meaning people who would say things like, you're very beautiful, you don't, you know, that's, you'd be so beautiful, except for your legs, you know, <laughs> you'd, be, you'd be really beautiful, it's such a shame. And um, it's, it sounds shocking, but that's really, certainly of people of a certain generation, that's completely how they would think. And, you know, I spent a long, many years figuring out how to elegantly deal with that. <laughs> and, um, and then to 
think the fact that you know this photograph could run in Sports Illustrated and there could be a brouhaha of it being too sexy of an image, you know, rather than it being again, oh, that's so great, good for her, <laughs> how inspiring, that it could be kind of threatening. That was interesting to me, and that's when I thought, um, yeah, it is sexy, and I own it, and it's <laughs> it's. You know, I think so. It, it's not. I, I I don't know what to do with your word visionary, other than to say like it's just that I've tried to be. I'll, this is a work in progress. You know, I'm a work in progress. My career is a work in progress, and as I'm going more into acting and not so much even the art house stuff, but very commercial, you know, Netflix TV show kind of things where I'm playing like. A. You know, a woman, a scientist, mm -hmm. a mom, whatever it is. Um, in other words, it has nothing to do with pro having prosthetic legs. I will continue to um, share what I find out, you know, mm -hmm. about about experiences. So I hope, you know, like like Anton, to be able to look back with that many decades and say, and and be able to even mine my own archive and say, oh yeah, I didn't even realize at that point that maybe I was doing that. Um, and if I can do that, then I'll, I'll have been very lucky. I'll take one final question, if you want me. Well, I think we covered it very well. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Oh, you yeah. uh, just one. just when you thought. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Just one question. Um, like you, at the end, you were very successful. You achieved all your dreams until now. So what's the difference someone that can achieve these dreams or something that you really did to achieve these dreams in comparison that you hadn't? I don't know. I'm not sure I understand the question. What, uh, what, what attitude do you think you really had to make your dreams come true? It's well, it's not, it's, I'll tell you, it's, I, I believe that you make your own luck. You, you work um, and you ask for help. This, none of this happens alone. This doesn't happen in a vacuum. Mm. I, I have asked for help every stage and not even really knowing how I was going to do it, how I was going to get there. And at every stage, people want to help someone achieve their dream. And that is true, I think, across, across the globe. You just have to keep, you're going to get a lot of no's, but you will find people who will say yes. And that that kind, those kinds of collectives and communities are why the world changes in positive ways. It's dreamers who are also doers. Thanks so much for coming. Thanks so much Thank for you. your sharing your story. Thank <laughs> you, Ali. Thank you. <laughs>